Again to our second hour service. Uh, I can see by the clock that it's 11:10. Yep, I can read. And uh, so uh, I'm going to open in prayer, and then we'll dismiss the uh, the children to go downstairs for their class and get started here. Father, we love you, and we thank this precious time that you've given us and set aside uh, for our for us to spend some time in the Word together, Father, and in the power of the Spirit grow towards being better able to do the work that you've given us to do. We ask your blessing on this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so children, you are released to go quietly downstairs to your class. Thank you. So what is Mike going to talk about this morning? Well, you don't know, do you? See if I can make this work. Genesis 1 through 11, and I've titled this a primeval history of, or, of origins. Um, and when I first put the slide together, I put the, uh, I put the early church father, Origen, in there, and I said, no, I don't think that's what we want to tell them about. And that's not what Genesis 1 through 11 is about anyway, so um, I've got the right spelling, origins. Um, and... Uh, initially, I had said, well, origin, the primeval history of creation, but it's more than that. It certainly is uh, one of the four major uh, events that happen and are documented in Genesis 1 through 11, and we'll talk about all of them, but it's more of origin because there's a lot of other stuff in there. So the history of origins, that's my subtitle. If you don't like that one and you have a better one, you can whisper to me after class and I'll consider it. Um, so that's what we're about. And it's going to be, this is probably going to be, um, I think I'm on for three Sundays. And um, if it goes really fast, then we'll finish up in three Sundays. And if I run out of time on any given Sunday and have to therefore shove that into the following week, well then we will, uh, we will beg uh, Pastor Dave to find another time. It may not be a Sunday second hour, it could be a Sunday first hour, it could be a Wednesday evening, but we will eventually get through all of this material. And somewhere in this discussion this morning, I'm going to tell you why uh, I wanted to do this. Now is just as good a time as any. Um, you know, I started, most of you know that I started a, um, a detailed study in the book of Deuteronomy several years ago, and uh, to date we've made it uh, all the way to, uh, I think it's chapter 12. All right, so we're in the midst of the longest discourse that Moses makes there on the plains of Moab, um, and we did a little review overall last this past Wednesday evening to just kind of bring us up, because it had been a long time since I'd even talked about it, just to kind of bring people up to speed. Okay, this is kind of what Deuteronomy is all about. Here are the themes focused. And, oh, by the way, we're going to go way back to Genesis 1 to get the primeval history involving these people that are there on the plains of Moab and bring everybody up to date on that. So the first part is going to be this discussion in Genesis 1 through 11. And um, if I can uh, 
cajole some more time, I will spend, I'll get everybody up to date. We'll, we'll cover the rest of Genesis 12 through 50. Maybe do that in a session. And then we want to fill the gaps, okay, to, to get everybody up historically to where they are uh, at this juncture in, give or take a few months, 1406 B.C., on the plains of Moab, uh, receiving the uh, covenant, the constitution uh, for, their, uh, for their country going forward as uh, they cross the Jordan and take the land captive that has been given to them uh, with God in the lead. So Genesis... Now, my take on this, I say, who's the author of Genesis? Most people are going to say, Moses. Moses. Amen. Thank you. We can close in prayer. Uh, no, uh, for millennia, it was accepted that Moses is the author of Genesis. The church fathers believed that Moses wrote Genesis. The Old Testament prophets believed that Moses wrote Genesis. All the New Testament writers believed New Moses wrote Genesis. There's a trend here. Jesus himself believed that Moses wrote it. And not only Genesis, but the entire Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Well, some people came along. Something must have happened in the water in Germany in the, uh, in the 18th, 19th centuries because all of a sudden you had all of these so-called learned elite scholars that kept coming up with all sorts of crazy things by way of uh, textual criticism, higher textual criticism, uh, not believing this because this couldn't have possibly happened here because this guy didn't dot his I's and cross his T's the same way as this person is in writing this stuff now, so it couldn't have been him, and yada, 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 on and on. Uh, and s crazy stuff just happened with, with folks beginning to doubt a lot of things about the Word of God that they had been taught since time immemorial. And... Yeah, grade school, if you, yeah, because back in those days, Jerry, we could still teach the word in grade school. Anyway, along comes this fellow named Julius Westhausen, German, mid-19th century German theologian, and he was one of the originators of the so-called documentary hypothesis. What's that? Well, documentary means there's documents hypothesis. I guess that's supposed to be one step better than being a conjecture, uh, indicating that there may be some validity and some truth behind it. I don't know whether I buy that argument or not. Uh, but uh, the, the so-called documentary hypothesis, they claim, these originators of this, that there are, there were four sources of writers for the Pentateuch in particular we're talking about. Um, and, um, um, and they use the initials J, E, P, 
and D. J stands for the Yahwist. E stands for the Eloist. P stands for the Priestly. And D for the Deuteronomist. Now, who these guys were and what they had actually written, nobody knows. But they claim that their, that their work was done at different times and at some point in time it came together to give us the text that we have for the Pentateuch. Yeah, you can't make this stuff up. Uh, but they did, okay? And so, uh, interesting in this, there, there has never been any direct evidence of any writings by one of these J, E, P, or D. Um, and they'll, they'll say like, well, J, for Yahwist, that's the person who likes to use Yahweh in referring to the Lord. And so where you see that name used heavily, that's his influence in that area. Okay. Uh, if you see a predominant use of Elohim for God, then that's the Eloist, and he is predominant in those areas. And the other guys, uh, anyway, I don't, uh, I don't subscribe to it. I don't, uh, I don't, I'm not going to claim to be a scholar in the area of the documentary hypothesis. I just read a little bit and took some notes and said, okay, uh, we'll, uh, we'll dispense with that. I will go back. There is no compelling evidence in my mind to say that Moses did not write it. And if we have so many, so much evidence that supports Moses being the author of the Pentateuch, then let's go with what we have and what seems the best. That's my vote on that. So, we will stipulate that Moses is, was the author. Date range. So, Possible, a rate and an absolute mathematic, well, it's not even mathematically possible. 1526 would have been about the year that he was born. And he lived for 120 years, and we know he died in about 1406. So we just do that arithmetic. Now, we, he couldn't have written it when he was first out of the womb. So that's not really totally possible. And it's absurd anyway, because the first 40 years, he was raised in Pharaoh's palace and probably wasn't thinking too much about writing a history of uh, Abraham's nation. So uh, we'll rule that out. A likely range, I'll give you this one. How about this? The likely range, I think, is 1446 to 1406. 1446 is, well, we know 1406, that's where they are. We, we've established that time previously. We have 1446 is the Exodus. And they got 40 years being led by Moses in the wilderness, ample opportunity for him to under the inspiration of God, penned the, uh, the works that we have and then delivered them. Uh, we're pretty sure that, for example, Deuteronomy was actually written shortly before it was delivered there on the, on the uh, plains of Moab. And the others, you can see, uh, you could make a case that Genesis could have been delivered early 
some of those, the, um, the Exodus and Numbers, uh, Leviticus, you've got to wait until that stuff happens. You can't talk about the law before it's given, but as soon as Sinai was over, he had all the material, could have done that. So in that time period, uh, we think that he wrote it. Now, how confident are we on those dates? Let's see if I can make this work. Oh, I love this. So he said the date of writing Deuteronomy was 1406 B.C. Well, we have some, we have some biblical evidence on that. Deuteronomy 1.3 says, In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all the Lord had commanded him to give to them, thus establishing the only specific date associated with the book to be the end of the 40th year following the Exodus. Thus, to establish the events of Deuteronomy, we must go back to the Exodus, 1446. And we can arrive at this date by looking from events that happened after the Exodus. If we go to 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, Now, it came about in the 480th year after the sons of Israel came out of the land of Egypt in the fourth year of Solomon's reign, in the month of Ziv, which is the second month, that he, Solomon, began to build the house of the Lord. Okay, so we know that Solomon reigned from 971 to 931 B.C. Firmly established. So the fourth year would have been 966 B.C. So if we take 966 and add 480 to that, we get 1446. And so now we're pretty confident that we've got the date of the Exodus nailed down. And so, therefore, I am confident in my uh, uh, hypothesis here that it was likely written in the years 1446 to 1406 B.C. And when I get an opportunity, I will ask the Lord and he will tell me if I'm right or not. Okay. Uh, Loring had this in his presentation first hour, and uh, and I think I think this is a good follow-on to what Loring was talking about the uh, the world viewpoint as far as the uh, uh, the satanic system is concerned, and uh, we get what's happening now. He's introduced he being uh, Satan. As uh, Loring pointed out in chapter three, we're not going to get anywhere close to that this morning. Um, we will uh, we will tre- trek on though. So the, the English in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So let's just stop for a second and think about that. We got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven Hebrew words. In the beginning, God. So that tells me what? That tells me in the beginning when there was nothing else, we've got God. He was there. All right? That is, that is huge. Um, God created. That word um, bara is only used in reference to uh, with God as the subject in, in making a, crea- a, crea- a creation. We cannot do it. Us humans, we cannot create anything. We can make things out of things, given material. Only God could take 
absolutely nothing and make everything out of it. Think about that. He created the heavens and the earth. That, in essence, the heavens and the earth, I could say that is synonymous with the word everything. So in the beginning, God created everything. That pretty well sums that up. Um, one of the one of the things that uh, that drove me to that want to want to do this section of Genesis was um, a thought one morning when I was sitting right here next to my bride. And I don't remember exactly what David was talking about, uh, and that's often the case, I'm sorry, but uh, it's not on David, that's on me. And um, I started thinking about the so-called educated elites and uh, their, their ultimate source of everything, uh, going back from present time to what they refer to as a singularity and, uh, and as the, they've got the so-called uh, Big Bang theory and David likes to joke, you know, Big Bang is there was nothing and it exploded. Uh, and uh, so, uh, so they come up with all this fancy stuff about how we can get back there and we can have mathematical models and uh, work our way back and prove that this happened. Well, the interesting thing is they can, the mathematical models and the physical assumptions, the physics assumptions that they make work to a point. You can make certain assumptions and plug your numbers into those equations and the equations work pretty well until they don't. Uh, and and you, get, you get to a point and it's, it's varied uh, you get to within a point of this singularity uh, and the equations all blow up. The math won't work, the physics won't work, nothing happens, it just, it just goes to, uh, to pot. And uh, I thought, man, there's a lot of stuff that works that way. Uh, I, oh, rabbit trail. Um, so... When I was in my senior year in, in college at the University of Texas, I'm sorry, Aggies, uh, but um, there I was, and I was in a mechanical engineering course. Uh, it was a design course with the strength of materials, and my professor um, gave me a problem to work on. He said, uh, uh, I know I've got some notes somewhere, but I don't see them. I'll have to get it off the top of my head. Anyway, uh, he was interested in, and I'm sorry if this is going to make your eyes roll back in your head, uh, but uh, the uh, thermal stress caused by a point heat source uh, on uh, material being machined. And, and so the, the idea was that if I'm operating, I'm operating a lathe and I've got something in the lathe and I'm turning it and I have a tool that's engaged with the work, uh, and it's taking material off of there, okay? And so it's, it heats that area where it's taking the material off and how hard you force it in there and how fast you move it uh, makes more temperature. So you can visualize that as a, 
as a point heat source. And so what's the thermal stress on this piece of work? I said, well, I can solve that. And uh, so I, I had this really fancy multivariable partial differential equation that turns out it had no uh, concrete solution. You could not integrate that thing and get an answer. But what you could do is you could use numerical analysis. Okay, so we, 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 do, we take little chunks of it and we make approximation. And for most of us engineers, approximations are good enough. I mean, I was involved in doing big stuff. And so for me, classical mechanics was fine. Newton's law was the bomb. That's all I needed. I didn't have to worry about uh, quantum anything. In fact, I didn't learn quantum anything when I was going to college because it wasn't needed. So here I am. I can solve this. So I would, I would make my numerical analysis and I would write it out, do my punch cards, turn in the computer program, and I would get back, oh, it was ugly. Uh, it blew up. It blew up. It would work just fine up until where I got very, 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 very close. And then just like the things they're doing now, it would explode. I couldn't get there. It, now, there may be an answer, and probably today it's trivial to be able to solve that problem, but I couldn't solve it. And that's what I thought about all this stuff, trying to get back to the point of engaging this circularity, now, this singularity. Now, they don't want to say what it really is, but when, when God said... When he created, he said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, and he made it out of nothing. Um, and so we don't know how he did it. There's nothing that says, well, we do. We know, in essence, that he spoke it into existence. By his very spoken word, he could make stuff happen. Now, what parent wouldn't love to have that response, that capability, right? When you're dealing with your kids, you just say, mm, and mm, happens. Uh, doesn't work that way, though. So uh, they talk about really high temperatures and plasmas and, and you know, cooling off and then uh, forming together and creating the elements as we traverse the periodic chart and they all get formed and... Uh, some of them are stable, some of them are radioactive, and uh, some of them are good for you, some of them will kill you. Uh, and you have quarks. Uh, what's a quark? I don't know. It turns out there's three of them in, in, uh, in every proton or every neutron, and there's a combination of ups or downs or whatever, and, and, and it all works, but it doesn't matter. Uh, we don't know, but we know this. We have, a, we have a witness to the creation. And that's God. He was there. He did it. Uh, so I think you can mark the end of the rabbit trail. And uh, we'll go to the... Uh, you know, Sue says, that's good. Uh, we'll go to the next... One, two. The earth was... Formless and void, and darkness was over the... There's another rabbit trail coming up there. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the waters. Uh, some translations have said the earth was 
utter chaos and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And formless and void uh, can sort of be that. Uh, the, the Hebrew words are, are tohu vabohu. And uh, no, we won't, we won't tell the story about the pigs soon. And uh, anyway, uh, it is. It is. It formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. So there's a formula for these creation days. There's an announcement of the command, then God said. There's an order, let there be, and there's a fulfillment, and it was. Uh, and you also have execution formulas, and it will say, and God made. And there's approval formulas, God saw that it was good. So the announcement of the command, and then God said, that happens ten times in uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 3, 6, 9, 11, 14, 20, 24, and 26, 28, 29. It does a lot of talking. Uh, the order given, let there be. That happens eight times, verses 3, 6, 9, 11, 14, 20, 24, and 26. And then a fulfillment, because every time he says, let there be, be happens. Uh, and it was so, seven times, 3, 7, 9, 11, 15, 24, and 30. The only reason there's less fulfillments than there were orders let it be is because some of those let it be's happen together. The execution formula, which says, and God made, seven times, verse 4, 7, 12, 16, 21, 25, and 27. And the approval, God saw that it was good, seven times, 4, 10, 12, 18, 21, 25, and 31. Let's look at some of this stuff. So we have light. It does, doesn't work. That works. And God saw that the light was good. God separated the light from the darkness. How do you do that? I don't know. The word just says God separated from the light from the dark. He said, light, you go over here. Darkness, you stay here. And that's what happened. So we have an approval formula and an execution formula. Verse 5. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. So the end of day one. We had light. We named the light. We separated the light and the dark. It was good. Morning, evening, first day. You could make it evening, morning, first day, morning, evening. It doesn't matter. It's a 24-hour period, one day. Verse 6. Then God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. So here's our formula for day, four, for day 2, verses 6, 7, and 8. Then God said, that's the announcement, Let there be an expanse. That is the order. I'm trying to do that, Mike. God executes his own order. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. What's the expanse? The firmament? That's another word for expanse. That doesn't help me any more than expanse does. Uh, but if we say the heavens, if that makes sense. Uh, we've got the, this stuff above us, 
where the birds fly uh, and all that stuff is, uh, is the expanse. God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning, a second day. Day two. Then God said, announcement, order, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so, let the waters be gathered into one place and it was so, the fulfillment, it happened. God said it, let it happen, it happens. God called the dry land earth and the gathering of the waters he called seas and God saw that it was good. Do you ever think, you know of course reading, reading the words of Genesis 1 that Moses penned and that he gave to the sons of Israel, uh, that is what we call... Uh, the historiography, the writing of what happened there. Uh, and that's being given to an audience of a million, two million uh, men, women, and children on the plains of Moab or somewhere in the wilderness as they trek their way there. Uh, but do they think, okay, God's calling the dry land earth and gathering the waters he calls seas, and God saw that it was good. And when he talks... Who's he talking to? Think about that. Then God said, To whom? Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. And it was so. The announcement, he said, the order, let it, the earth sprout, the fulfillment, it was, so, it was so. And so, note the natural order of things from the beginning of creation. Bear, trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. Everything is after its kind. And we'll see that as a theme that continues throughout uh, creation here. The earth did what it was ordered to do. It brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. We continue. The end of day three. So there was evening and there was morning a third day. So we're three days into this glorious happening now. And in verse 14, we start on the, uh, on the fourth day. And verses 14 through 19 comprise day four. The announcement, as you might guess, then God said, and the order is, let there be lights, and we think about this as we're doing this, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Okay, well, I thought, I thought God created light. He said on day one, let there be light. And light happened. 
and he separated the light from the darkness. So now what's he talking about? Well, this is, this is some other great stuff coming on. There's going to be some order. Now, don't ask me how the light worked before he created these uh, lights in the expanse of the heavens. I don't know. He does. It did. It's written. So uh, we just will deal with that. He said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. So we've got a lot going on here. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights. Hmm. The greater light was to govern the day, and the lesser light was to govern the night. He made the stars also. So now we know, because we've seen it, but he's talking about he made the sun that governs the day. He made the moon, the lesser light, that governs the night. He didn't, Moses didn't name them in, uh, in this instance when he's writing Genesis. Why do you suppose that is? Well, uh, one of the things may be that at this juncture in history, we are now uh, for some 2,500 years after creation with Moses on the plains of Moab. Don't shoot me if the math is wrong, but it's that order of magnitude. Uh, and there are uh, lots of uh, cults and whatnot that worship the sun. They think it's a god in the sky. That worship the moon. They think that's a god in the sky. God in directing this writing here made it sure. We don't call them that. We say we got two great lights. The greater light to govern the day. The lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. Why go to the point of saying the stars? He made the stars also. He didn't name them. Uh, but he did point out he made the stars. They are not little sparkly gods throughout the, uh, throughout the heavens that, that some take them out to be that have magic powers and can control your, um, your future by the way they line up with one another. They line up with one another the way they line up with one another because that's the way God created them. To, to move like that. We say there for the seasons, all the stars that were ever created were put into functions so that they move in certain ways throughout the year, throughout the seasons, and those ways are repetitive, and we can tell what the seasons are by looking at the stars. I can't. I couldn't do that on my, uh, on my life. Um, you can navigate a ship by looking at the stars. I couldn't. Uh, I am all for electric aids to navigation. That's the way I went to sea on submarines. And, and, uh, but they could do that uh, majestically. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning, a fourth day.
All right, here we go with day five. Then God said, Let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. So here we have the first additional life being created here, the waters with swarms of living creatures, all the fish. So we have the fish and the birds on, uh, on day four. Day four, excuse me. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind and God saw that it was good. So all those great big sea monsters that were the scourge of old and they were thought to be gods and terrible things and people worshipped them and were afraid of them. You know, God made that. God made that sea monster. Winged bird, every winged bird after its kind. So the flying reptile that we call a pterodactyl, God made that. And what did he do? God blessed them. So all the fish and all the birds, he blessed them. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. So they got a blessing. And he didn't do that with the plants and the trees. But he did bless the fish and the birds. And there was evening and there was morning, a fifth day. And now we come to the big day, coming up here. Day six. A lot of stuff is going to happen. Then God said, typical announcement. He gave an order. Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. It happened. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. So he create the, continued the creation of the order. Everything is after it. So there's not all some hodgepodge just throwing everything into a bucket and let them get together and see what comes out. Didn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. After their kind. Maintenance of order. God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over all the cattle, over all earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So what has he done? He says first, let us make man in our image and we can talk about and discuss, oh, is that plural of majesty? Is that... God the Father speaking to other members of the triune Godhead? Is that God speaking to the angelic beings that we know, if we didn't know before, we know from first hour, they were already there watching all this stuff happen? We don't know. Like Loring says, that one's above my pay grade. I'm not going to conjecture on it. But what he did, and it's clear here, is he put man in charge. Let us make man in our own image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, and over all the earth and over every creeping thing. So man is in charge of all of creation 
to date here. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We can divide that up, this execution. It looks all like one sentence. We can divide that up into three lines. God created man in his own image, line one. In the image of God, he created him, line two. Male and female, he created them, line three. So there is no inequality in this created order right here between men and women. And the blessing. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. He put them in charge of all of it. Okay? He's over all created life except the angels. We don't rule over them. But now we are everything else here, man is to rule over it at this juncture in creation. That's going to change in a few verses. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, and it shall be food for you. Everybody was a vegetarian. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. So the animals and the fish weren't trying to eat the people. Uh, the animals weren't trying to eat each other. They were eating what God had given them, and that was every green plant for food. And what do you think? God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Tov is good. Maud is very. It was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So the active work of creation at this juncture is complete. Thus the heavens were completed and all their hosts. This carries into chapter 2. By the seventh day... God completed his work which he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. And it's a lot. A lot. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Now, we know that there's more to creation than just where we are so far. There's another whole chapter, uh, and we're going to get to that, uh, not today, but uh, next Sunday. Uh, but I want to have some takeaways. Uh, I didn't mention it earlier, but there are four major events in Genesis, uh, 1 through 11. The first is creation, which we've talked about We've talked about the complete creation. The chapter 2, what it does is go into a detail about a specific portion. It's not a separate creation, as some would say, uh, in some areas. But it's a, it's a continuation and expansion and elaboration of a portion of the creation that's happened. 
So four major events. The first one is creation. The second, the fall. The third, the flood. And the fourth, the Tower of Babel. And there's other ancillary stuff that goes on in there between those major events. But that's what we're going to cover as we go through Genesis 1 through 11. Why didn't you put that at the beginning, Mike? Well, because I didn't want to. I wanted it at the end. Second point I want to drive home, and I don't think I need to to this crowd. God created everything from nothing by his spoken word. He just said, let it happen. Moms, don't you just wish you had a portion of that power in raising your children? God the Creator, God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, God the Creator, although separate and distinct from all creation, is able to communicate and interact with His creatures. He's proven that in the first 31 verses of, uh, of Genesis, that he's able to interact with and make things happen. And we'll see even more so in, in future verses that our God is not, he is, there is a, cre a creator-creature distinction, and that is non-breakable. Uh, but our creator is not uh, so aloof that he's totally separate from us and we cannot communicate with him and he cannot communicate with us. Man was created in God's image to have dominion over all the earth and all creation. You've seen that. You, we read the words. It's the truth. All of creation is for God's glory. He did that for his glory. He's maintaining it for his glory. He created all those angelic beings that uh, Loring was talking about this morning for his glory. And everything he's doing is ultimately the story of history. God's story is doxological. He is doing all this for his glory. And I think it, we're not going to go there. So that's all I have for you this morning. I had a couple of extra rabbit trails and uh, some that I didn't mention. Uh, We'll continue next week with the. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll probably get into the uh, into the fall next week. We'll complete. There's 25 verses in, in Genesis 2. We'll get through all of those, and get into the fall uh, next week. So uh, stick around, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Father, we love you, and we love to um, uh, fellowship with you and your Word, and to talk about your Word with one another, Father, and to uh, and to see the wonder of what you have done and what you are doing and what you are capable of doing uh, in the lives of, uh, of us and of all mankind. We pray for wisdom in the decisions we make. We pray for the guiding of the Holy Spirit in, uh, in interpretation of the words that we find in the Scriptures. Pray for guidance as we go forward and continue to do the work of the mission, making disciples. Pray for safety now as we depart this beloved old building and head for home. And all these things we lay before your throne of grace in Jesus' name. Amen.